0: Alright, well, I get the opportunity to teach you the biblical wife's role here tonight. And I am not a woman, nor am I a wife. We have to make clear statements like that these days, don't we? We can't be too clear about these issues. Um, I believe what the Bible says about men and women and are being made in God's image as male and female I'm not a woman or a wife, but you know what? I don't have to be in order to communicate this. And, and the reason why is because the scriptures are sufficient. I need to un, Unpack the word of God and show you what the word of God says and trust that the Holy Spirit will use it right for you as you, you seek to help people embrace God's design for marriage. And so I do believe that the wife has a high calling. We'll talk more about how there are certain people that, that that think that our position is one that suggests inferiority. I do not believe that because the scriptures don't say that. The wife's calling is a high calling. And so we want to go to Genesis chapter 2 to, to start this. Counseling wives, you must remind them that they're of their design in marriage according to Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 18. I'll read it through verse 22. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature God's design for marriage and reminding wives of God's design is important so that you can help them to glorify God and to experience the satisfaction that he has for them as they fulfill the role given by God. See, in our text here, among all of the animals that God created, there was not a helper fit for Adam. They didn't cut it, in other words, right? And so when we come to this text, we find that it was for this reason that God created woman. God created women precisely for the unique role that they would fulfill in being suitable helpers for their husbands. Now, having said that, let me give a caveat. I think this is important. As I was reading through my notes again today, I'm going to give this caveat. Not all men and women are called to marriage, Paul was single. Jesus, single, right? Paul even upholds singleness in 1 Corinthians. So not all men and women are called to marriage. Singleness does not make a woman less of a woman. It doesn't make a woman less than a woman. It doesn't make a man less than a man if they're single or less pleasing to God. I'm just speaking broadly here. Of marriage. And a husband's role. And especially here tonight. A wife's role in marriage. Now. We need to understand. This unique role. That wives have. But at the same time. We get at this. Issue of submission. Which uh, to say. In some places in our country. Perhaps many places in our country. uh, Would get me labeled a bigot. But if that's what I'm called for believing the scriptures, so be it. So let me say this regarding the wife's unique role. Wives should not separate their command to submit to their husbands from the crucial task of helping their husbands, right? Helping their husbands because They are helpers fit or helpers suitable for their husbands. I mean, this is extremely important. Submission does not take away importance or useful service from a wife. Her role is vital to a faithful marriage that honors the Lord. So don't think of submission as, okay, uh, I'm just to do what he says, and that takes away all usefulness or helpfulness. no. Again, this is a high calling that God has given to wives. Now, as her husband's helper, a faithful wife submits to her husband as her head. And by head, I mean not source, like some people have thought, but authority. As her authority in the home. Now I want you to add something to your notes here, and, and I'm going to go back and, and, and insert this in. A hus, uh, as her husband's helper, a faithful wife submits to her husband, as her head, to reflect the gospel for the glory of God. To reflect the gospel. Turn with me to Ephesians 5. I, I want to show you something. Uh, we've we've had the privilege over at my church to be preaching through Ephesians um, since February. And we're finishing it up this week, but I have learned so much about the Lord and about the gospel and about God's plan for humanity and the universe through Ephesians that I want to show you how this commandment towards submission for wives in this context, in this letter, it shows that the high calling of women, or wives in this regard is indeed that a high calling. Let's go and zero in here on chapter 5, verses 22 through 24, and then I'm going to back up and kind of get the, the context of Ephesians to show you how important this is for wives. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, right, authority, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior, Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, something we've seen in studying the book of Ephesians is that Paul is taking the gospel and he's pulling the camera back to the widest possible angle and showing what the gospel is all about in terms of the glory of God. And so he does that in in uh, chapters one through three in showing us what we have in Christ, who we are in Christ and how that important that is. And then in chapters four through six, there's a lot of imperatives, a lot of commands that are are being given. Right. So indicatives or gospel truths. Right. Gospel realities in chapters one through three and then four through five gospel imperatives. Now. Now. What would I say is the main point of Ephesians? And why does that matter for what wives are called to do here in chapter 5? I want you to look with me at a couple of texts. Look with me, starting in verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now he's going to tell us why verse seven, verse seven, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Why is he doing this? Why has he saved us? Why has he rescued us from being Satan followers, right? Children of wrath. Why has he saved us? To show, see that word there in verse 7? To show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness. He's putting himself, his grace on display through us. Now, we see that again in chapter 3. Look with me at chapter 3. Starting in verse 8, Paul says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of his mystery, hidden for all ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Speaking of the angelic realm. So again, the gospel, what God's doing with the gospel is he is highlighting an aspect of his character highlighting the wisdom that he has highlighting his manifold wisdom. So again, he's putting himself on display and he's using the church to do it through our salvation in Christ. And in chapters four through six, he starts to tell us how we do that as we submit in the spirit to him. So we come to chapter five and the commandment given to wives to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. And so that submission, as you can see, is tied to the gospel. You see that there? Even as Christ is the head of the church, right? Husbands are the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. and verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So wives, you're you're, you're called to submit to your husbands to highlight, again, the gospel, to highlight who God is, his grace, his wisdom, as you do so. We've been talking about the main point of Ephesians like this, that in God's cosmic theater, right? If you think of just what God's doing in the universe, in his cosmic theater, the church stands center stage to highlight the glory of God in our salvation in Christ and our submission in the Spirit. So all the imperatives... And chapters four through six in Ephesians are all ways in which we are highlighting God's character and God's gospel. And so that's extremely important as we think about the high calling of wives. And yes, submission too. as you submit to your husbands, you are reflecting this aspect of the gospel because the church is called to submit to Christ. And so as you're doing that, you're revealing, reflecting this aspect of the gospel. And that is glorious. God, is he wants us to pull back that, that picture of what he's doing, his plan, to see what he's doing from the widest angle. He wants us to put him on display in our obedience, in our trust, in our following of Christ in these ways. And so think of that when you think of submission. Not as demeaning not as suggesting inferiority, not at all, but as a way that you can display the gospel for others to see, for the Christians, for the world to see, and for even the angelic realm to see, as we saw in chapter 3. Okay, I'm done with my preaching rant. but I think that helps us here, okay? Now here's a definition of submission. Submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor And affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. That's from John Piper's book, This Momentary Marriage. I think that it's important for us as counselors to urge women, counselees, away from the lie that submission is demeaning. I was uh, was over at a friend's house uh, a couple months ago. I live out in the country and uh, I've uh, I've been in the suburbs my entire life <laughs> grew up in the suburbs I lived in the suburbs here in the Fort Worth area for 19 years now uh, since uh, getting out of college and so I'm out there and um, My friend wants to show me that he has has got some chickens and that's what you do when you go to the country You move out to the country and get chickens and He's got these chickens, but he's also got a couple of hogs and um, I was out there talking to him, and I saw one of these young hogs go and get in this this, uh, this basin full of water. And I started to look at that water a little bit, and I said, that is nasty. <laughs> but that pig, that hog was content, just like uh, it was hot outside that day, and uh, that hog was just, you could tell there was a lot of contentment there. And I thought, I, you try to picture yourself being in that nasty water, and you're like, ah, I would not have the same look on my face as that hog has on her face. And I thought to myself, you know what, I wonder if we're kind of like that that hog sometimes, though. Um, we don't realize the lies, the, the disgusting nature of some of the narrative that's surrounding us in our culture when it comes to marriage. We've just been in it for so long. We've lived in it for so long that we hear things. We watch certain things on TV. We, we hear things and we're just, we're, we're desensitized to it. and We don't realize how nasty it really is. Just like that hog oh, didn't know how nasty that water was. And what I mean by that is that I think that the culture has influenced. us more than we realize. And so there might even be uh, some... Cringing that goes on for counselees who you're telling these things to in your in your council room or across the table from you in your home, wherever you do your counseling. They might cringe. They might they may um, kind of make a face further brow at this idea because we've lived in this culture for so long where feminism has. Gained more and more ground as a lie of Satan. Not biblical marriage, not biblical womanhood or biblical, um, submission. So I think it's important for you to, to help them see that God's ways are not only best, but right, right and best and help them see that because here's what I, I believe. And I think that you should believe it too. Uh, It is a God given responsibility. Submission is given by God to be obeyed. God knows how life works best. He made you, he made me, right? And so uh, wives should understand this. They should embrace the fact that God knows exactly what they need. He made wives to operate this way. Wives will not know the joy of Christ if they rebel against his command. Why do I say that? How could I say that? How could I possibly make such a statement? Because of texts like this, because of John 15, look at this, if you have your Bibles or you can listen to me read it, John 15, 10, and 11, Jesus says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. I'm telling you to obey me, and I'm telling you because I want your joy to be full. But if we say no That's going too far, Jesus. That command is uh, is crossing the line in my heart. Then we won't experience his peace, his joy, his contentment for us. If we say any aspect of the responsibilities he's called us to are not good, not right, not best. If we rebel, we don't get his pleasure in that regard. And remember this, if, if... if you, you have a push back in your heart about submission when it comes to the role of wives in, in marriage, remember this. All Christians are called to submission. All of us are. First, we're called to submission to the Lord, right? John 15, 14, we're, we're in this context. Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And then Acts chapter 5, verse 29, Peter says, we must obey God rather than men. We're called to obedience first to the Lord, right? We we submit ourselves to Him first and foremost, and we also are, are called to submit to other believers, even right? In Ephesians 5:21, we're we're called to uh, submit ourselves to one another. Philippians 2:3 and 4 count others as more significant than yourselves, right? Let there be no selfish ambition, but but look at others and count them more important than yourselves. And in and, and doing this, you'll be like Jesus, Paul goes on to say in verses 5 through 8. Now, some will say, um, well, yeah, in chapter 5 of Ephesians, and in verse 21, it says we are to submit ourselves to one another. So um that means that husbands and wives are, in terms of authority in the marriage, Equal on equal footing, and there's no different roles or distinctions, not so. I will say this, although there is a general sense in which a husband should have a submissive attitude toward his wife as he seeks to consider her more important than himself, this should not take away from the more specific submission of a wife to her husband as the authority in the home. I think that's a good balance to have there, certainly he's to love her and to consider his. Her to be more important than himself, but there is still that authority structure in the home that God has designed for uh, a a home to thrive in. We're also called to subject ourselves to every human institution. First, Peter 2.13 says. If you look over there, you can see this is just another aspect of which uh, we're we're all called to, to submission in one way or another. All of us are. So we shouldn't be offended by this, is what I'm trying to say. First Peter 3, starting in verse 13, Peter writes, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And then you go on and you you see that there's that... Master-slave dynamic, too, is spoken of in terms of submission. And we could think just in a practical application sense of, of employers, employees in our day and age. So when you come to the command for wives to be subject to their husbands in First Peter chapter 3, verse 1, we've already seen two other spheres in which believers are to be submissive. So we're all called to submit, submission on one level or another. But what does submission not mean? It does not mean that a wife is inferior to her husband. I've already said that. I'll say it again. And the reason why I say that is because there was submission going on when Christ was obeying his Father's commandments here on earth, wasn't there? Was Jesus inferior? To his earthly parents when he submitted to them? Certainly not. He, he submitted to his earthly parents whenever uh, he, they found him in the temple. You remember this? They found him in the temple and he was there and he was astounding people with his knowledge. And yet he is Lord overall, right? He's Lord overall. And yet we read this, he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. He was submissive to them because ultimately he's being submissive to his father. He's submissive to his parents because he's being submissive to his father and doing his father's will because he needed to do that in order for us to have the hope of the gospel, right? He wasn't inferior to his earthly parents. He's not inferior, um, I'm sorry, um, he's not inferior to God the Father either. He's actually lord over his parents, but he submits because ultimately he's submitting to God the Father in his work. And I get at this as well. Was Jesus inferior to God the Father when he said, I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me? Certainly not. So why would we suggest then that a wife would be inferior to her husband in submitting to him? Let's look at another text real quick. This, you can add this one in. I don't think I, I gave this to you. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians 11.3. Just another good text to use. When we're, we're thinking about this idea that um, wives, are not submiss- uh, wives are not inferior to their husbands. 1 Corinthians 11.3, this is what Paul says. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, right? That's authority language again. And the head of Christ is God. In other words, in the Trinity, there is this authority structure. Now, we would say that every member of the Trinity is equally God. They're equal in their godness. They're equal in their essence. But it doesn't mean that there's not an authority structure. So no one would ever suggest that Jesus is inferior to the Father, right? Likely, um, people, though, would say that our way of thinking, our uh, view of marriage says that women are inferior to men. Or that wives are inferior to husbands. But it's not true. Because in this text, Paul is hes, he's making a comparison here. Right? We need to look at things through 1 Corinthians 11 glasses. Okay. Now, here's, a submission does not mean that a wife cannot influence her husband as well. To the contrary. My goodness. Um, just experientially in my own life, I've been, I have been blessed and influenced and impacted by my wife more than any other person in helping me to grow in Christ and helping me to be a better husband, a better father, a better pastor, a better Christian. It doesn't mean that a wife can't influence her husband. Actually, a wife influences by her behavior. Right now, this this text in first first Peter chapter three is talking about uh, uh, disobedient husbands. But look there. Likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. So God uses the conduct of obedient wives to um, he uses that in bringing disobedient husbands to repentance and faith. It's one of the ways that he works in their hearts. And also, we haven't talked about Proverbs 31 yet in terms of the excellent wife, but the excellent wife speaks wisdom. She speaks wisdom. A wife should respectfully give her counsel and her opinion to her husband. That's healthy. That's right. That's good inside a marriage that is godly. Also, it does not mean that a wife should not use her God-given skills and abilities. I have seen so many wives be really the, the ones that uh, administratively are so gifted in marriage. My wife's that way in our home. You know, I, I don't, I don't know what I'd do without her in terms of keeping the calendar and and uh, working with the kids and and organizing things and making sure that we're she she is so helpful and she has so many different skills and abilities that I don't have that make my home um one that is warm and inviting and more pleasing to the lord it also does not mean that a wife has to always agree with her husband that's an important one, I think, to, to make in terms of uh, a distinction. It doesn't mean that a, a wife has to say um, um, yes and then agree. She can even say, I disagree, and here's why. As long as she's doing so respectfully, she didn't have to agree to submit. It does not mean that her husband does all her thinking for her. Again, that's, these are some of the, uh, the straw man arguments. These are some of the the accusations made against those who believe in, in biblical marriage and biblical um, biblical husbanding and what wives are called to do in marriage according to Scripture. When she, yeah, she's an individual with her mind, her gifts, her abilities. She is a person, a distinct, unique individual, and that comes out in marriage. Even yes, with submission submission is a good thing according to god's definition and here this is important it does not mean that a wife gets her spiritual nourishment primarily from her husband oh sorry let me go back let me say this because think of 1 peter chapter 3 a disobedient husband that is referred to in the those first couple of verses right In in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6, the wife is not dependent on her husband for spiritual sustenance since he's uh, disobedient. He's he's likely an unbeliever, right? Rather, we see that she is to pursue spiritual depth, depth, not from her husband, but for her husband so that hopefully, by God's grace, he may be one, right? This is important. And... A, a, a wife who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, ought to be in a local church where she has elders, right? She's got pastors who can come alongside her and, and help nourish her soul. And they act as that spiritual authority in her life to help her as she seeks to shine the light of Christ to her husband. Whether he's an unbeliever or whether he's um, a a husband that's not walking in obedience and needs to repent. Maybe he's in a a season of disobedience toward the Lord. doesn't mean that she only relies on her husband. And and so if her husband's not pursuing the Lord and he's not in a healthy relationship with the Lord, then she's sunk. That's not what it means. Submission does not mean that a wife should follow her husband into sin. (laughs) Absolutely not. I mean, in in chapter 5 of Ephesians, Husbands, be submissive to your wives as to the Lord. Ultimately, it's for him. And so you can't sin in order for it to be unto the Lord. So you can't follow your your husband into sin. We obey God first. We obey God rather than men, right? Acts 5.29, like Peter said. So that's not what it means. Don't don't ever think that you follow your husband into sin. No, because we, we are called to obey God first and foremost. Now, here, here's another one. Oh, sorry. There you go. There's a the blank. It does not mean that a wife should be fearful of her husband or timid in relationship to him. And we get that from First Peter chapter 3 as well. Look with me starting in verse 5. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. By submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. In a submissive relationship where where you are submitting to your husband, there might be occasion where you would be tempted to be afraid. But if you are hoping in the Lord, there's no need For that fear, nor should you be fearful. And that's not what submission means in the first place, according to 1 Peter chapter 3. It does not mean that a wife should worship her husband, right? Sometimes there's that kind of unhealthy dynamic, because Matthew 4.10 says, You should worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. And it does not mean that her hope and dependence rests ultimately on her husband. Again, if we look back to that 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 5 text, it says this, this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. So in, in this text, the holy women of the Old Testament hoped in God and that hope led them to submit. Their hope in God led them to Submission. Okay, so this that has all been negative, right? That's all been negative. Now, what about the positive side of this in terms of helping us understand a wife's role according to Scripture? What does submission mean? Now, I, I have found this next definition to be the best definition out there when it comes to The spirit or the disposition of submission. Listen, it is the disposition to follow a husband's authority and an inclination to yield to his leadership. It is an attitude that says, I delight for you to take the initiative in our family. I am glad when you take responsibility for things and lead with love. I don't flourish in the relationship when you're passive and I have to make sure the family works. That, that, oh, it's so helpful. That's the kind of spirit that a submissive heart echoes. It's best for everyone when the husband leads. And the submissive wife says, I desire for that to happen because I know that's God's way. And I know that's when the family will flourish. I know that's when I will flourish. I know that's when everything will work as it should, according to God's design. And we'll experience more of his joy and more of his blessing, more of his peace. I desire that. I don't like it when I have to to go out and do things that you should be doing. When When you're passive or you're lazy, I don't like that. I don't want that. And so there's this this hope, this expectation to look to the husband and say, I want you to lead and I want to follow you because I know God's way is right and best. <clears throat> what it does mean it means that a wife submits to her husband. Means that a wife submits to her husband as obedience to the Lord, like we've already said, according to Ephesians five twenty-two. Now, there's something very practical I want to say about this point. And that is, um, the Lord is always worthy of your obedience. Amen. Always worthy. So, wives, you're called to submit to your husbands, even when you think that they're not worthy of it. And they're not ultimately worthy, are they? <laughs> Let's be honest. But Jesus is always worthy of your obedience, and He's the one who says, "Submit to your husbands." So you can say, "Oh man," you you can in your mind you're you're upset with your husband, you're angry at your husband, you think your husband's not leading like he should, and and you think um, he's not worthy of your submission in that moment. But you can remind yourself, and you can remind your counselees in that moment, "Yeah, but Jesus is. He never stops being worthy. He never stops being the one that is marvelous." And is glorious and good to me, so even I I can look past my husband in this sense, and I can see Jesus and say, "But I need to do this because Jesus Christ deserves all the glory, and so I submit for His sake." No matter what your husband's doing or not doing, wives, sorry. Wives please God by obeying Him. And one of the ways that they are to obey Him is by submitting to their husbands. Now, submission means that it is the wife's responsibility to submit as an act of the will. Now, here's what I mean by that. In Ephesians 5.22, Paul is addressing wives. He says, wives, be submissive to your husbands. Now, why would that be important practically? For this reason. Though the husband should appropriately confront his wife on sin, he does not force her into submission. No, see, because Paul's saying, he's speaking, he's addressing wives. And by the way, that was a big deal for Paul to do in that setting where, uh, where women were looked down upon and they, they were belittled. Paul, in this letter that was going to be read publicly in the church says, wives, The the mere fact that he's addressing wives is huge. He says, wives, submit. He doesn't say, husbands, make your wives submit. No. This is to be done as an act of her will. The husband never, never forces her into submission. But loves her as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Right? Ephesians 5.25 and furthermore, this this needs to be said as well Children are to be disciplined But not wives, right? They're, we're called to discipline children in the scriptures But not wives A wife's submission is not the same as a child's submission In that regard Also It means that a wife submits to her husband Continuously Right? It's, it's, this is not an, an, a one-time command Like, I met my quota for the week <laughs> Sorry, you'll have to wait till the week starts over. That's not what, that's not what he means by be submissive. No, it's, it's to be ongoing. So a a wife does not submit only when she feels like it or when circumstances are convenient or when her husband is being respectable. Again, because it's, it's about the Lord and he's always worthy. It means that submission is not optional, but commanded. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. That we need to hear that again. When it comes to the commands of Scripture, it's not a suggestion. Because He's our authority. We're not our authority. Our hearts aren't aren't the authority. Our culture's not the authority. He is. It means... That submission is not dependent on whether or not the husband is walking faithfully with the Lord or walking with the Lord at all. Kind of already covered that. But he doesn't need to be a Christian in order for you to submit. He doesn't need to be walking in faithfulness in order for you to submit. It's a call from the Lord. And by the way, it's hard. I'm sure it is hard to submit to an ungodly husband. I'm sure it's, it's, it's hard to submit to a husband who's being passive. I'm sure it is. But God will give you everything you need. He'll give you everything you need. You need to do what he's calling you to do. What submission does mean? It means that a wife should yield to her husband's leadership gladly. And not begrudgingly. Now I understand that there are texts like this in the Proverbs, and I I don't mean for this to be funny, but it, it, we we read this and this this we need to consider why the why God would put this in the Bible. It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. All right? It, it's So the attitude matters, in other words, right? The attitude of submission matters. It's about actions and attitude. First Corinthians, I'm sorry, first John chapter 5, verse um, 3, this is for all of us, regardless of of whether we like the command or not. We don't get to kick the dirt while we're submitting, right, to God's commandments. First John 5, 3, listen. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Now, why wouldn't they be burdensome? Because whenever we're saved, we're given a new heart, we're given the Holy Spirit, we understand what God has done for us in Christ, and that frees up our heart. It helps us appreciate God. It helps us to joyfully follow his commands. We want him to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. We want to serve him because he has done so much to serve us and giving us his son. He's done everything necessary to bring us into his forever family. And so we want to serve him and we don't see it as something we do kicking and screaming because we say to God, command me. I know everything you've done to bring me into your, into your home, into your kingdom. I know it. So command me. I want to obey. I want to reflect your goodness. I want to submit to your lordship because you have saved me and you have been so lavishly kind. By the way, 2 Corinthians 5.15 tells us that Jesus Christ died for all so that those those who lived no longer live for themselves, right? But for him who for their sake died and was raised, he saved us so we'd stop living for ourselves and start living for him. And oftentimes when we don't want to submit, no, I'd say every time we don't want to submit, it's because we're thinking about ourselves and what we want and not about what he's worthy of. And not about his goodness and his love he's given us in Jesus. It means that a wife submits to her husband comprehensively because Ephesians 5.24 says in everything. And, and by the way, I need to say again, it doesn't mean sin, okay? It doesn't mean sin because again, uh, we can't glorify the Lord by sinning. But it does say in everything with that caveat. And it also means that a wife is to submit to her husband with respect, because that's what Ephesians 5:33 says. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now. Finally, it means that a wife must submit to her husband by the power of the spirit. Okay, by the power of the Spirit. So Galatians 5:16 says that, but I'll point you to the same context in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Look with me there. Ephesians 5:18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And he goes on into that sentence. But I believe, in studying this text, that the idea of being filled with the Spirit in verse 18 of chapter 5 of Ephesians it flows down into the commandments that we see in the rest of chapter 5 and into chapter 6. How do we obey? As we're filled with the Spirit, by His power. That's how we obey. And so, yes, wives can do the hard thing of submitting and denying themselves to the glory of God and submitting to their husbands because the Spirit is in them. Now, what does it look like for a wife to respect her husband? I've got a couple of texts here say in Ephesians. There's a lot in Ephesians here. First of all, you need to respect your husband with words. I've done my fair share of marriage counseling over the years, and there is from both sides, from husband and wife, a lot of sarcasm, a lot of vitriol, and belittling that happens in the counseling room from husband to wife. And wife to husband. That's not pleasing to God. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Those those who are worshiping ultimately themselves are going to speak in that way, but not those who have set their hope and their love on Christ. In the moment, this is how they speak. Ephesians four twenty nine, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. So that's the put off, right? The put off. No corrupting talk, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. That's important. Okay, so so here we'd have content, right? The content of your words. So the content ought to be what? That which builds up, not corrupting, but that which builds up. And also that it gives grace to your husband. So have your counsel lead. Maybe a homework assignment would be, okay, whenever you, um, you are talking with your husband, especially whenever you're, you are tempted to be angry with him, you need to ask yourself, are my words building him up and giving grace? Just asking those questions can be transformative to our communication right? Am I building up and am I giving grace? But there's also the timing. The timing aspect here as fits the occasion, right? The NAS says, according to the need of the moment, are we choosing the right time? Are you helping your, the wives you're counseling choose the right time to speak? Because we might say, say something good, something helpful, but at the raw The wrong time. I've certainly done this with my wife right? Um, I've got something on my mind. I really want to get it off my chest. And I, and I come home, especially when my kids were, were, were younger and uh, she's trying to get dinner out onto the table and my kids are running around like whirling dervishes. And I said, Hey, I, I, we got to talk about this. You know, I, I, I really have really been burdened by this. And, and I think that, that you and I, we, we've not been on the same page about this issue. And so I, I really think, right. You know, we, we got to do this and, and there's no time like the president. And I, I certainly don't want uh, to let the sun go down on our anger. So let's do this now bad time. Even if she's able to come and say, yes, dear, even if she's able to do that, still, I'm not going to have her full attention. I'm not, I'm not loving her. I'm actually provoking her to anger in that moment. And the same can be true of wives to husbands as well. So timing matters. But By the way, um, Proverbs 15:28 is a good one to look at in this regard. Proverbs 15:28. Listen to this, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. That would be really helpful, wouldn't it? In our relationships, in our marriage relationships, if we would take the time to ponder how I should respond. Let me think before I speak. Is this going to be helpful? Is this going to be building up? Is this going to be gracious? I need to stop. I'm I'm not going to be impulsive in my speech. But I'm going to be the person who ponders how to answer. I'm not going to be the, the wicked person who just has evil things pouring out with no discretion. Proverbs 12, 18. Rash words are like sword thrusts. There's one whose rash words, reckless words, are like sword thrusts. You do damage. So think about what you're going to say before you say it. Timing matters. Also tone. Proverbs 15, 1. Soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. Tone does matter. Not just what you say, but how you say it matters we don't think it matters sometimes but we need to we need to uh, even engage in a thought experiment okay if you said something extremely kind and helpful to somebody but you said it with a sneer and you said it with a condescending tone would it be received as such absolutely not and even if you you know, we can we can make little jabs with our tone too, like little side comments, things we whisper underneath our, our breath, you know, or as we're walking away, kind of passive aggressively. No, tone matters. Proverbs sixteen twenty four also says this, this is helpful. Gracious words are like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Sweetness to the soul and health to the body. So time tone matters. Timing matters. Content matters with respect to words. That's one of the ways in which you can respect your husband's wives, but also respect and rebuke, right? Yes, that's true. Wives should rebuke their husbands. If their husbands are in sin, then a wife needs to respectfully go and confront him. That needs to happen, right? Um, Husbands and wives are in marriage, and one of the reasons why you 're in marriage is to help each other glorify God right to help each other point to Christ with your life to be holy to honor God from the inside out your 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 spouse helps you do that and so wives you need to help your husband do that even as you 're rebuking him though you need to be respectful romans twelve twenty one do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, right And so I, I, I know that there have been married couples in my office where uh, they have felt like the other person, the spouse sitting next to them in my office has felt more like an enemy than a spouse. And so you say, well, you're even called to love your enemies though, (laughs) right? You might feel like the other person's your enemy right now, but you shouldn't try and overcome your enemy with evil, but overcome with good, right? You should, you should be giving your enemy a, cold drink trusting that god is the one who takes vengeance not you you're not his tool of vengeance right he'll take vengeance he'll do it in his way and his timing you trust him and then you love you show grace certainly you are called to love your husband even if he feels like an enemy to you and by the way Rebuke is not an opportunity for piling on, right? And another thing. And another thing. Right? I and so you remember 1 Corinthians 13, 5? You're not to be resentful. Love is not resentful. And literally, literally, that means keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. So you don't spill forth all these past sins in an argument, right? Or you, you don't use rebuke as an opportunity to just back the truck up and say, all right, let's unload. <laughs> it's not time for that. It's time to lovingly rebuke your husband so that your husband can walk faithfully before the Lord. Right? You're doing it ultimately to please God, not just to feel better in the moment. Respect when speaking of him in the company of others. Respect when speaking of him in the company of others. Now, this is interesting. In Proverbs 31, verse 23, this is what it says. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Why would that be included in the excellent wife description here? The gates, that's the place in the Israelite city where the prominent people did business made decisions. And so her husband's in the gates. He's known in the gates, right? In that sense, he's known in the gates. He's known by the important people, right? When he sits among the elders of the land, right? So there's a sense in which he is because of his wife's influence. He is, uh, that's affected his place in the town. I think that's the understanding there Uh, because of how she has been an excellent wife that has affected how he is perceived in the town and where he is in terms of his prominence in the town. And so I think we can take, uh, we can take a practical application and say that, that a wife is to build her husband up by what she does, by her submission, by her words, by what she does to help the family and submit to her husband. What else? What does respect look like? The biblical wife is a homemaker. I know that's controversial. Okay. Let me explain what I think is a balanced perspective on this because we read in Titus chapter 2 verses 3 through 5, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. That the Word of God may not be reviled now, how are we to understand this now? Uh, Proverbs 31, 10 through 13 or uh, 10 through 31. And this passage on the excellent wife out of 22 verses nine refer directly to work in the home. Now there are verses like verse 16 and 18 and 24 that suggest that there is work she does outside the home. She considers a field and buys it. and She's selling things that she has made. Okay. But she is working at home. That is a priority for her. Now If a wife is out of the home too much or involved in so many other activities that she is consistently exhausted, she cannot care for her home according to God's design. And so what I mean is not that a woman can't can't work outside the home, but there is a priority when we look to Scripture that she be a worker at home for the good of her husband and her children. There is a priority there. It doesn't mean she can't do anything outside the home, but there should be a priority. And and if that job prevents her from doing what God has called her to do as a wife and a mother, then she and the husband need to step back and assess things and make a good plan moving forward. So when a woman works outside the home, she needs to examine her motives, I think, too. Are my motives God glorifying? Are they self-serving? It's important to ask because, um, th- it, there might be a, uh, some identity that a woman has wrapped up in her employment. Identity in working outside the home. And if that's the reason and that's kept her from prioritizing work at the home, then again, things need to be reassessed and a different way forward needs to be chosen. It's not a prohibition against work outside the home, but more of a prioritization of work at home. Now, again, I'll reiterate this as we conclude. The more husbands and wives embrace their distinct roles in marriage, the more clearly they will reflect the glory of the gospel and fulfill their purpose as image bearers of God. We already saw in Ephesians chapter 5 how There is the reflection of the gospel in a wife's submission to her husband, and then in chapter five, verse twenty-five, when husbands are called to love their wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, there's that love, that that loving aspect of the gospel that the husband reflects. So, wives submit to husbands as the church submits to Christ, and and the husband loves the wife as Christ loves the church, and it highlights the gospel. But there's also a sense in which even its image bears. There's an aspect of um, submission. That reflects the Trinity because God, um, God the Father, has sent the Son, right? And there's there's a submissiveness. There is there's there's roles. There's distinctions inside the Godhead, even though they're equal in their godness and their essence. And so there's a sense in which, um, as you submit to your husbands, you're even reflecting the Trinity in some sense as well. And so that's it's helpful to think about because, um, again, the high calling for wives is one in which you are displaying God. You're displaying Him. You're reflecting His image. You're reflecting His gospel, right? And so wives don't see it as something that's demeaning. See it as something to be celebrated, so it's something where God's saying, here's how you can glorify me. Here's how you uh, must glorify me in this role that I have given you. And also, how you can enjoy me as well. And I think, ultimately, we've got to let the glory of God be the goal, right? The ultimate goal is not that your home feel peaceful. Your ultimate goal is not that you have a a family that looks healthy and so that you can brag on Facebook or Instagram the goal is is not even so that your husband would be pleased, but it's that God would be glorified, that he would be seen in your obedience at home as the one who is treasurable, who's marvelous and holy and wonderful, and he knows what's right and best for everybody. And it becomes then an opportunity for you to say, do you want to know him as well? Let me tell you about him. And why this thing, this, this marriage, uh, these, these, these roles that seem so strange in our culture, that seem so different and out there, why it actually is the most wonderful thing. And it makes for, um, God being glorified, but also the home being blessed. Can I tell you about it? And when you're doing it joyfully and willingly, then that's helpful, isn't it? It recommends the gospel too, doesn't it? Okay. Yes. Did you have a question? I'm sorry. I thought maybe it was just a scratch. I apologize. <laughs> Let me pray. Cause I think we're out of time. We are. Okay. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us this time. I pray that we would, you would help us to, to help others with this truth and that Lord, though it's sensitive, that, that we would be clear that we would be gentle and the Lord that, that we also would be bold as we declare that these things are the right things and the best things. And may, uh, the wives and the counselees of the people here who are wives would, uh, would see how good you are to call them to this high calling laid out in scripture. I pray this in Jesus name. Amen.